0: If you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Exodus. Now, we are uh, taking three weeks out of Luke, and we are looking at three different identities. This is kind of a vision season for us as a community. We've been a community that's been praying all week and gathering for prayer, and um, we have a vision night tomorrow night. If you're curious, if you're new, or if you're, you've been here for a while, kind of curious where this ship is headed, I want to invite you to that. It's at seven o'clock in this room. I believe we will have child care. Uh, Or you can bring your children in for the greatest PowerPoint that you will ever see in the history of the world. Um, But what we've been doing is we've been spending uh, three weeks on three kind of identity statements. That if you are um, a disciple of Jesus, there are three things that are true of you. The first one is that you are primarily a follower. You are a disciple. You're not just a believer, Uh, You don't just do something with your head, you do something with your life. So we we are followers. The second thing we are is that we're family. We talked about that last week, that we need each other and all of the craziness and weirdness as part of a church community is necessary because what we don't get the opportunity to do in the kingdom is to decide who our family is. Jesus gets to call that. So we join in with family and we're not looking for a perfect one, we're just looking for a faithful one. And, um, and so we get to connect as a family, we get to follow as disciples, and then today we get to go as missionaries. And we believe that every other identity statement that's true of you can be subsumed under one of those three, that you're a follower, uh, that you are a connector as part of a family, and that you go as a missionary. Now, I grew up in a church where we would have the, uh, the world map. So we'd have Ohio, we'd have the world map, and, the high, and Ohio was kind of the center of the world at that point. And then you would have pieces of yarn that went to all these different countries, and that's where our missionaries were. And Then we would take a, a, a special week uh, out of our church year and call that Missions Week. And, and it was great, and those that go are worthy of special honor, no question. But what was the implication? If we send missionaries, that means we're something else, correct? And we just want to remind ourselves that no, no, some, some are sent... Overseas, Everyone else is sent into their neighborhoods, their dorms, their wherever. So Exodus chapter 3, it's going to take us a while to understand why we started in Exodus chapter 3. When we get there, you'll be thrilled. Now, uh, a man named Moses is invited to be a deliverer of God's people. He's got a a few concerns, a couple of comments, some objections. And and one of the really interesting things he he says, chapter 3, verse 13, he says, suppose I go... So he's got a lot of feedback for God and God's choosing of him. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Now, he's not asking, hey, what do we call you? Names in America are kind of random. There, there's no, for the, for the Jewish Mind, for the Hebrew mind, names were expressions of character and essence or purpose and destiny. Your name was something about you. Okay? Mike, my first name, doesn't tell you much. I, I mean, there, there was no inherent Mike-ness that my parents prophesied over me and to name me Mike. you understand that? There's no, I mean, it was just, names in America usually are just tags, They're just designations. There's nothing attached to them. In the Bible, though, names are much more significant. To ask your name is to ask for a bit of your character, a bit of your essence, to know something about you. And that is why a good name was so significant. And very often when God would work in the life of somebody, he would change their name as a result. So he's changing their name because he's changing their destiny, their nature, their essence. So... There's no one here at Mike-ness. Mike doesn't tell you much about me other than this is what you call me. But when Moses asks God for his name, he's asking for more than just, hey, what, what kind of arbitrary tag should I use when I'm talking to the Israelites? He, he's asking for a, a revelation of who God is and what God's purposes are. And, and God responds this way. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites: "I am has sent me to you." Now, what is so interesting in Hebrew is this kind of combination drops out of nowhere into the Hebrew language, and it's very, it's very interesting because on the one hand, um, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court. And that meant Moses was familiar with all the pretender gods of Egypt. They, there, was just, there was a god and a goddess for everything. The Nile River and, and valleys and fertility and sun and moon and stars. I mean, you had gods and goddesses for everything. So when God says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or I am that I am, all of those are legitimate translations. They all come from a, a word that means in Hebrew to be, to exist. In other words, hey, Moses says, hey, what's your name? God says, in contrast to all the pretender gods of Egypt, I actually am. I am. You know, I'm real. I'm self-sufficient. I'm the only thing that doesn't need anything else for its existence. And what's interesting is it's, this is tensed in a way that includes, I am who I always have been and will be. I am currently who I always am and will be. And in future, I am who I always will be. It's just this this beautiful thing. I am that I am. In contrast to all the gods you're familiar with, I actually am. Now, if you're Moses, how helpful is that? (laughs) Hey God, what's your name? I'm real. Awesome. Now, it's helpful in the sense that the name is different than a title. Would you agree? I mean, my wife doesn't go around calling me fellow taxpayer, you know, or American citizen. I mean, she calls me Mike. I mean, so a, a name is an expression of relationship. But the name that's given, boy, speaks of holiness and grandeur and majesty and awesomeness. And that this God, you can know him, but you can never figure him out. But then he gives a slightly different name that the Israelites are to use. Notice verse 15. Verse 15. So God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then verse 15, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So the Lord is the name that God gives the Israelites to use when they talk about him capital L-O-R-D. Now, this is a transliteration of four Hebrew consonants called the Tetragrammaton, if you want to keep score at home. Y, H, W, or V-H. There aren't vowels in Hebrew. they are just vowel like markings. So we think it would be pronounced something like Yahweh or Yahweh. And it's the third person form of the verb to exist. So, When God refers to himself, he uses the phrase, I am. When we refer to God, at least if you're an Israelite, you were to use the phrase, he is. That's what Yahweh meant. He's real. He exists. He's sufficiency. He is. Now, it's interesting, therefore, when Jesus comes marching around and he looks at some Israelites and he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. That's Jesus using the name. Not in the third person sense, talking about somebody else, but in the first person sense, talking about him. If anyone ever tells you Jesus never claimed to be God directly, that's just not true. Because the Jews immediately picked up stones to put him to death. So when God refers to himself, he uses the phrase, I am. When we refer to God, we use the phrase, Yahweh. We don't know how it's pronounced, technically, because out of reverence for the name, the Jews stopped saying it publicly and just referred to it as HaShem, the name. So they wouldn't say the name, they would just say the name that refers to the name. (laughs) Right? Are you tracking with me so far? Kind of. Now, I don't like that my NIV Bible uses the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, because 6,800 times in the Hebrew Scriptures, Yahweh is used. It's his covenant name for the Israelites. And it's a big deal to him. Go to Exodus chapter 20. It's not a surprise, given the name, that there's a commandment to revere it, to protect it, to not misuse it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Now, in the translation I grew up with, it was always, You shall not take the Lord, the Lord's name in vain. The NIV that I'm reading out of says it this way: verse 7. You shall not misuse the name, and then you see the capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. You shall not misuse the name of Yahweh, for Yahweh will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, what's interesting is this phrase misuse. It, that, that in one word encapsulates two different words that in the older translations were take and in vain. Okay, it's two different Hebrew words. One of the words means to take or carry or attach something. And the other word means something that's empty, futile, or something that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. So you could translate it this way. Do not misuse the name of the Lord, or do not take the Lord's name in vain, or do not carry the Lord's name in a way that is empty. Do not attach The Lord's name to something that is empty, an empty promise, an empty word. Now, if you're kind of foggy on what this has to do with anything, let me make it worse for a second, because typically, when we talk about not taking the Lord's name in vain, what we're saying is listen, if you accidentally hit your thumb with a hammer, there are certain words you should not say. And that Jesus Christ's middle name doesn't begin with H, right? We're not, I mean, they just, there's, did you not get that? I've always. Let's say Jesus H Christ. I, okay. So don't ever say that is kind of the point. The the command to not misuse the name, we make a command to not swear, and that is certainly true. But the command to not carry the Lord's name in an empty way or attach it to an empty thing is bigger than just our language. Go if you would to Exodus 23. So the H joke won't go to the next service. Appreciate your feedback on that. That's helpful. In the business, we call those crickets. And I'm quite used to them. Uh, Exodus 23, verse 20. Notice. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way. And to bring you to the place I've prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since what? My name is in him. So, the name can rest on a a person or a being. And how you treat the name... Remember, a name isn't just a tag or a designation. The name represents character, essence, destiny, or purpose. So how you treat the name is how you treat the person. So if the name rests on this angel, Moses is saying, if you sin against the angel, you're sinning against the name. And if you're sinning against the name, you're sinning against the God whose name it is. Are you with me so far? So the interesting part is the name can rest on something else. Right? Go if you would to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Nope, Deuteronomy chapter 12 is what I said. Deuteronomy chapter 12. We find that the name rests not just on a person, but in, on a place. Deuteronomy 12, verse 11. We're going to go to Micah after this. You may want to get started on Micah. Just uh, <laughs> took about half an hour in the first service to find Micah. Deuteronomy 12, verse 11. Notice this. Then to the place... And when you see capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. Then to the place Yahweh your God will choose as a dwelling for his what? His name. Right? So ultimately that's going to be Jerusalem. The place where his name dwelt. Now what else dwelt there? Him. Right? That was, he dwelt in the temple. So his name resting on a place means he's there. Do you see the connection between his essence and his name? If his name rests on something, how you treat that something is how you treat him. But his name can also rest on a place. So in this case, it's Jerusalem and the temple. Go if you way to the book of Micah, chapter 4. And then we're going to go to Ezekiel, just to preview you. Some of you have just said, you know what, I'm just going to watch the screens. Because I trust they'll be on the screens. And I don't need to exercise my fingers. Go to Micah, chapter 4. Notice, I'm trying to hit all the really popular books. <laughs> Micah, chapter Bambi. Micah chapter 4, bye Bambi. She's still going. If you sit in the front row and you know you've got to leave, maybe you should rethink that strategy. Um, just teasing, no. She's, all right, Micah chapter 4, verse 5. Notice this. All the nations may walk in the name of their small g-gods... But we will walk in the name of the Lord, Yahweh, forever and ever. So, the name can rest in a being, the name can rest in a place, and now the word walk in Hebrew means to live. So the name can rest over a way of living. So the idea is you can live in a way that is congruent with the purposes of Yahweh, the character of Yahweh, the name of Yahweh, or you can live in the name of some other God. So the name can rest over how you live. Not just what you say, and not just a place, but how you live. That is fascinating to me, because when Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 6, Father, in the heavens, teaching us how to pray. May your name be hallowed. May your name be kept holy. What does that mean? Well, let's look at the opposite for a second. Go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Flip back a couple. Notice this. Now, the prophet, (laughs) Ezekiel isn't a really positive book. Um, There are some amazing promises of restoration and uh, return from exile and new covenant. But in the midst of those, I mean, it is a pretty catastrophic announcement of Israel's demise into exile and their deservedness of the invocation of the covenant curses. But, but notice, there, there's something attached to God's name that, that um, Ezekiel mentions. Verse 20 of Ezekiel 36. Speaking of Israel in exile, it says this, And wherever Israel went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are Yahweh's people, and yet they had to leave Yahweh's land. I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, referencing them coming back from exile and restoring them, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. Now, to profane something means to take it out of sacredness and make it common. Make it ordinary. To hallow something or to make something holy is to mark it off for special use. Okay? So, God says through the prophet to his people, you have made my name common because my reputation in front of the nations has been profaned because of your disobedience. Remember how we just said, you can live in a manner that it's congruent with the name of God or not. The Israelites, at least in this chapter, profaned the name of God. Why? Because God had to kick them out of the land He'd given them because of their disobedience. In other words, to a small degree, God's reputation among the nations rests on the people who bear His name. Because His people were disobedient, His name was tarnished. Are you with me? Because they were known as Yahweh's people. And when Yahweh's people are now taken out of Yahweh's land, Yahweh's name is profaned. Why? Because look at Yahweh. He can't even keep his people in the, in the land he's given them. Now, we don't necessarily think like this, but what I'm trying to introduce you into the idea is that God's name isn't just a, a, a tag, a way we refer to God, but it was something that would rest in a being, on a place over a way of life, and now over an entire community. And when the behavior of that entire community did not reflect the name, the name was profaned. So when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, do you understand he's not saying, hey, just don't swear when you hit your thumb with a hammer. He's saying something much bigger than that. It includes what you say when you hit your thumb with a hammer. But it's a lot larger. Go, if you would, to First Peter chapter 4. Notice this. Now, relevance is soon approaching. Brothers and sisters, First Peter chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 14. You guys okay? Yeah. Making sense so far? Okay. Four of us are in, as usual, Mulehoffs are sitting closer every week. I love that. I love that. It's like you can't get close enough. And I. So next week, right there, it's going to be awesome. First Peter four verse fourteen. If now this is written to exiles and strangers in the world. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So meddlers, stop it. (laughs) However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you what? Bear his name. See, that's what Christian means. It's name bearing. So the name of Jesus is, is stamped on you. Let me ask you this question then. If taking the Lord's name in vain or misusing the name means attaching it to something that is empty, may I gently suggest that perhaps the emptiest thing the name gets attached to is us. And when we want to shake our fist at Hollywood about how much they insult the name... The warnings against misusing the name were not given to pagans, but to those who bear it. See, swearing is any time the name is stamped on you and you don't live in a way that brings glory and honor to it. See, so people will say, if if this is still fuzzy, have you ever heard the phrase, we're going to go witnessing? Have you ever used that? Usually people mean they're going to go share their faith verbally, right? Have you ever heard that? The problem with it is that you became a witness the minute you said yes to Jesus. You've been witnessing your entire Christian life. The issue is not whether or not you have been witnessing, but who are you witnessing to? What kind of God are you bringing attention to? A God that is small and tribal and national? A God that is mean and petty and wrathful? A God that is good and gracious and joyful? What kind of God are you as a name bearer putting on display? You don't get to opt out. Nobody gets to check markets and I I don't feel like being a witness. You are that. You carry the name the minute you say yes to Christ. So the issue isn't do you witness. The issue is you've been witnessing the whole time. Your kids are learning about God from you. Your friends are learning about God from you. For whatever reason, in God's crazy economy, in a tiny way, he entrusts his reputation to those who bear his name. So let me ask you a question. If you live, if you would live differently by going to school or work tomorrow and having a big t-shirt that says, I follow Jesus, then you're taking his name in vain by how you're living now. If you would interact online differently, if you would change your screen name to I follow Jesus and sign every email with I'm a Jesus follower, if that would change the way you interact online, you're profaning his name by how you're living now. I mean, and I've learned this lesson the hard way. As a model, as a, uh, as a, as a movie star <laughs> no, as somebody that's worked in a lot of different big churches in Orange County, it, it dawned on me one day that people would know who I was and what I did, and I would have no idea who they were. So I was in Hogue Hospital five in the morning. Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf was playing. I kid you not. I had some sort of food poisoning flu. I am launching projectiles all over the place. It is the grossest, grimiest thing ever within a 10-minute span. A paramedic walks by and says, I thought that was you. (laughs) Candy striper. Hi, Pastor Mike. And a scribe attached to the ER doctor. Oh, well, that's interesting. Restrooms, car dealerships, restaurants conferences in other states, I have learned that for whatever reason, I am never anonymous. And do you know how absolutely liberating that has been and good for me? Because, I mean, think about it. Let's say we're, we're pulling out after this service, and let's say I cut you off in the parking lot, right? Now, you're upset that I cut you off, correct? Correct. But when you find out it's me, isn't there a little extra? Like, he's the pastor, right? Isn't there just a little extra, right? So imagine you began to live your life with that same awareness. I mean, so we were at Disneyland, I don't know, four or five years ago. And if you work for Disneyland, this is not, uh, I bless your work. But we were paying $38 for hot dogs and juice boxes in a place of torture called Ariel's Grotto. And, <laughs> and, and, and what it was is that you go in there and, and princesses come out and they spend 12.2 seconds at your table. And it's not a, it's not a millisecond over that. I mean, it is a rigid schedule. And so, you know, our, our girl was into this and, and so we were there and, and the food was bad, the service was bad. I mean, we just had a literally horrible experience. And it was two hours. We, we saw three, or two or three circuits of princesses. I mean, it was like, oh my goodness. And so, because you're sitting there and you're trapped, you're not enjoying the rest of the park. And I, I was irritated, <laughs> to say the least. Two hours go by. I kid you not, two hours. The server comes over hands me the check and and, and at that point says I go to your church (laughs) now what did I do I replayed the last two hours to see how high the jerk factor had been operating right and I wanted to say lead with that just tell me that next time alright but here's what I learned here's what I learned to the degree I would have lived differently had I known that she knew who I was, to that degree, I am profaning the name. Because if you change the way you are when people find out whose name you bear, see, we're the reason. We're the number one objection to Christianity, I find, among most people, isn't theological. Even, it's not even apologetic related. It's just the hypocrites in the church. Those who bear the name don't live the name. Now, to some degree, that's always going to be true. I am a very flawed name-bearer. But part of name-bearing means when we screw it up, and we will, we forgive, we bless, we reconcile. That's part of name-bearing too. Because the announcement is that Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. So, when I sin, as is built into the message, my forgiving, my reconciling, my restoring... See, if you would drive differently, if we put a big old bumper sticker on your car that says, I follow Jesus, then you're profaning the name. Because the same accountability I have publicly, you have too. There is no such thing as anonymity for followers of Jesus. Sign your name to everything. And if you can't sign your name, then don't say it. See, we want to shake our fist at Hollywood and say, they're profaning the name. But who are the ones most in danger of profaning? Those who bear it. I am the chief of sinners. But let us not allow our imperfection to diminish the invitation You go here as a witness. You can't help it. It's too late. You're teaching your friends, your family, your coworkers about who God is. You can't stop it. You can't prohibit it. I mean, I I was talking to one young lady a couple of years ago, and I was making this point about how she was driving, because she had a fish in her car. And I said, if there's a difference between how how you would drive with the fish or without, then drive like you got a fish on. And she said, no, no, no. I'm just going to take the fish off. And I can drive however I want to. Maybe, there, maybe the point was missed. And this isn't about guilt. This isn't about obligation. Brothers and sisters, we are fully recipients of lavish grace and mercy. But we are inheritors of a new covenant. And as part of the covenant... We bear the name. God, for whatever reason, has always said, my primary way of reaching other people is using people that bear my name. So this isn't a guilt thing. This is just true. The question is, what kind of God do you witness to? That's the question. Is it Jesus-like or not? No matter what you say, no matter what you sing. See, we just want to be the kind of people that whenever we start talking about Jesus... There isn't whiplash to the people we're talking to and they go, oh, I would have no idea that that's what you thought, right? So what I want to do is I just want you to close your eyes for a second. Bambi! (laughs) Right when it's over. You timed that so well. You did. Close your eyes for a moment if you would. And I just want to ask you the question that's been pressed on me. Where are you profaning the name? Just where are you profaning it? This is not condemnation. This is not wrath. This is, this is simply going before the Spirit of God and saying, God, where is just one area where there is a huge disconnect between me bearing your name and how I actually choose to live? I'm just going to give you a moment to reflect and then we'll pray. In the mighty name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord God Almighty, would you wake us up to the calling that you've set before us, to the inheritance for which we've been saved, would you wake us up to the damage sometimes we do to each other and to others by just not living with an awareness of who we are and what it means to carry your name not out of guilt, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but out of a profound joy to pass along what we ourselves have received. Would you wake us up this morning and would you remind us as we leave here, there is no anonymity. The servers in restaurants, the workers in our places of employment, the students in our classes, that is all, all opportunity for mission and ministry. And so would you wake us up and would you give us grace?